Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. And today we're talking about injuries and whether or not they are compensable under the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Law and specifically off-premises injuries. So what we're really going to be talking about today is exploring uh, what arising out of and in the course of employment means. That's a defense that you would typically raise to a case where the injury did not occur on the employer's premises. You'd say, hey, uh, maybe the person got hurt, so we're not disputing that an injury took place. We are going to dispute that there was an injury arising out of and in the course of employment. So that's the defense we're going to be exploring today. And we're going to be exploring it in the context of commuting time injuries. Uh, what is a commute? When does a commute begin? Uh, what type of commuting injuries could be compensable? So exceptions to the general prohibition against the compensability of a um, commuting time injury. We're going to talk about paid travel. We're going to talk about employer-provided transportation. And I have to talk about common area and parking lot cases because they are such a huge source of accidents in, in New Jersey. You know, it, it turns out that it freezes here in New Jersey in the winter. And for that reason, we have parking lots that freeze over. And we got a lot of slip and falls out there. And the last thing I'm going to talk about is working from home. Obviously, so many employers have uh, taken on a full-time work-from-home sort of outlook, and for that reason, we're seeing more and more frequency of these work-from-home type injuries. So I'm going to discuss them today. Now, this is completely and totally live, so please ask questions. I know a lot of people watch this back on video, uh, the archive video, which is available on our website, loisllc.com. Uh, but if you're here today, I'm hoping it's because you want to interact and you want to ask questions. And I really welcome questions. It makes this a lot more fun. And you might be surprised too, if you're sitting there saying, hey, I don't want to ask a question because my question is dumb. Uh, believe me, there's someone else out there who would probably benefit from your questions. So really don't hold yourself back. Ask those questions because it makes this just so much more useful for everyone who's watching along. Now, this is New Jersey, and we're going to be talking about a defense in the context of the New Jersey workers' compensation law. And so the very first thing I want to start off talking about today is the fact that in New Jersey, you have pretty good disclosure or discovery mechanisms. That means that you have an opportunity to do some investigation into your case in New Jersey and force the other side, opposing counsel, the claimant, your adversary, to come forward with the proofs that they're going to intend to show to prove their case. So in the context we're discussing this, we're discussing a case in which you know, you're disputing the matter. You're saying, hey, this person may have sustained an injury, but it did not arise out of it in the course of employment. So how do you prove that? How do you show that? So you know, oftentimes in the workers' compensation context, it's a tie goes to the runner. If the claimant presents the claim, that's really good enough. The judge is going to say, okay, well, that's all I have to do is show a prima facie case. And oftentimes the burden falls to us to disprove their case. So how do you do that? Well, the first thing I'm going to tell you is any facts and information that's under the employer's control, and this would be things like the personnel file, uh, records regarding the type of uh, expectations the employer had for the employee, whether or not travel time was paid or unpaid, all that stuff is important that we get that from the employer so that we can start to dispute whether or not the loss arose out of in the course of employment. Please remember that in New Jersey, interrogatories, and these are uh, questions that you can draft yourself and present to the claimant are allowed. In cases, uh, most cases, they're allowed uh, only upon motion, which means you just file a piece of paper that says, hey, judge, in order to get to the basics or the, or, or the 
basis of this claim, the foundational questions, I need to uh, find out or elicit some information and testimony from the petitioner. And so you're allowed to serve interrogatories and they should be crafted. They should say, why were you at the place you were when the accident took place? Who directed you to be there? Were you paid? Were you unpaid? Who controlled and directed your time? Um, you know, asking the employee to answer these very basic questions about the place of loss and why they were present at the place of loss is very important. And you can do this by way of interrogatories. Now, there's going to be some other methods that we have that we can find out information. For example, police reports, accident reconstruction reports, incident reports. You know, we're, we are hopefully this is taking place. Uh, near to or adjacent to premises that are under in, um, surveillance. So we'll be able to get a video surveillance of the location or something like that. But the key here is not to rely on petitioner's version of events or the reason that the petitioner was in a particular place at a particular time. You know, we should really be challenging that and really be pushing back on it. And because New Jersey allows for discovery and where a lot of workers' compensation jurisdictions do not, you should absolutely be taking advantage of that to help you uh, build up your defense. Now, the law in New Jersey, and this is enshrined in the statute, is that the employee who is involved in their regular commute is not in the course and scope of employment. And so accidents or injuries that arise during that period of time do not arise out of and in the course of employment. The statute is so clear in New Jersey. It says employment shall begin, shall, not may, but shall begin when the employee arrives at the employer's premises and terminates when the employee leaves those premises. So that's in the statute. It's pretty clear. So. A bright line rule in New Jersey is that the regular commute to the workplace is not compensable. But then again, that's where we see all the fights or a lot of fights about was this person in their regular commute or not at the time of loss. So uh, things that the employer can do that takes this outside of the course and scope of employment, for example, paid commutes. Once you begin paying your employee to commute to work, paying them for that time or providing them with transportation, uh, you could be uh, turning that entire commute into an incident of the employment and therefore any injury or accident that arises could be your responsibility or liability. Now, the other interesting wrinkle we see in New Jersey is where the employer owns a transportation network. It's a busing company. Uh, it's a light rail service. Um, it's the train service uh, that's used for commuting. And the employee gets injured uh, while, in the, while on the employer-owned transportation. Even where the employer allows the employee to utilize its own transportation network for free, as long as the employer does not require the employee to use their transportation network, um, the fact that they subsidize the transportation on their own network does not transform that commute into paid travel or an exception to the general rule that regular commuting time is not compensable. Uh, I also want to point out that New Jersey is a state that has a commuter benefit uh, law which allows for pre-tax income to be put aside in special employer funded accounts for employee uh, travel reimbursement and that is not uh, going to transform any um, travel paid for with that employer benefit account into a paid incident of the employment or into compensable travel. The other situation we see a lot in New Jersey is where the employee goes to multiple locations in the course of a single day or week. And the most 
common example of this is the sales route employee who's going to travel to multiple stores or merchandising locations during the course of a given week. Um, the other situation we see here is an employer that themselves has multiple locations and the employee may be assigned to go to them in a specific order uh, following a pattern week over week. Where the employee has specific days in specific locations and is following a strict pattern from week to week, generally that first travel from their home to that very first place that they're supposed to report to for the week or for the day I should say, uh, is not compensable. That would be treated as a regular commute. And the real uh, um, test here is how regular or how um, common it is for them to go to that same place on that same day. So even where you have a case where the employee is going to multiple locations, you could still raise the argument that that first trip of the day to begin their day and go to that constant place that they're always starting off uh, their sales route from or their merchandising route from, well, Judge, that's their regular commute. And that's been an argument that wins. Now, when they are in their uh, transit from one location to another during the day, uh, it, you are not going to be able to prevail on a commuting um, argument. And the judge of compensation is going to find that those travel during the day from interim location to interim location, again, even if they aren't locations that the employer directly owns or controls, would be compensable or uh, would arise out of and in the course of employment. So any accidents or injuries that would occur during that sales route uh, interim as they're transiting from location to location would be compensable and would likely be the responsibility of the employer or the carrier. Um, we often see these arguments get raised in the um, realm of parking lot cases. And again, I said earlier, hey, it freezes here in the winter and we got a lot of slip and falls in parking lots in New Jersey. So the questions we want to answer about whether or not a parking lot case is compensable is who owns the parking lot? If it's the same as the employer, well, the injury in the parking lot is likely to be found compensable because the parking lot is going to be considered the employer's premises pursuant to the statute. Who maintains the parking lot? If it's the employer's responsibility to maintain the parking lot, an injury that takes place in the parking lot will be found to be the responsibility of the employer. How about if the employer does not own or maintain the parking lot, but simply directs its employees to park in a very specific location in a shared parking lot? Now, we often see this in the context of an employer at a strip mall or a mall who will say to their employees, hey, don't park near our front doors. Uh, we want to leave these parking spaces closest to our entryway for our customers. We'd like you to go park in the furthest away parking lots that we could possibly push you into. Uh, for those uh, employers, when they've directed their employee to park in a specific location in a parking lot, that again, the employer does not own and does not maintain, they simply share it with other tenants, perhaps in the same strip mall or mall. Once you direct your employees to park in a specific place, you have transformed that walk from that specifically directed location all the way into the front door of the employment into a premises of your employment. And so any accident that takes place while they're in that long commute will be compensable. All right, next uh, big uh, category we see is travel time injuries. And again, these are not commuting injuries. These are injuries where the employee is traveling from location to location at the request of the employer and sustaining an injury. So 
I'm thinking about employer requested travel, and often it's extraordinary travel for things like conferences, events, client visits, sales visits, conventions, that type of thing. And the uh, answer here is, generally speaking, as long as they are engaged in the direct performance of duties assigned or directed by their employer, they will be found to be in the course of their employment. If they depart to start doing something purely personal and absolutely unrelated to the work activity to which they were directed to um, accomplish on that employer travel, well, it's likely that would not found to be compensable. So you really got to look at what were they doing at the time and how closely related it was that to the purpose of the employer-directed travel. Another time we see this defense raised is where the claimant is engaging in a personal errand. And the classic one is taking a little break from the workplace to walk across the street and get a cup of coffee or something like that, or in my case, maybe a hot tea. Uh, injury sustained, uh, is that compensable or not compensable? Well, there really are no bright lines here. There's no firm boundaries. It's really going to come out to, was the um, employer encouraging or facilitating or permitting or allowing the claimant to take those sort of steps or take those little departures during the day. The other thing that the court's going to generally look at is how reasonable was that little errand that they went on, that little personal activity they, they uh, sort of deviated to do. Um, the more likely uh, that the judge is going to find the thing to be a very short distance, closely related to the employment, um, you know, not too much of a deviation, is the more likely they're going to find the case to be compensable. <clears throat> Sorry, the last one we have here is working from home. Working from home. This is going to be a much bigger, I suspect, class of injuries going into the future. And the truth is that uh, although they're becoming increasingly common, the case law really hasn't changed on this. Um, where the claimant is working from home, generally speaking, anything that happens to them in their own home while they're carrying out the duties of the employer is going to be compensable, even if the employee created the own hazard to which they were uh, uh, exposed. I had a client ask me last week, well, Greg, what if I have somebody who works from home and during the middle of the day, they go take a break, which we all know would be compensable, and they go down to their kitchen to get a glass of water. I said, uh-huh, that sounds like any injury that occurs while they're getting a glass of water would be compensable. And they said, okay, well, here's my next uh, little wrinkle on this one, Greg. How about where they go to get the glass of water, uh, but their partner or spouse maybe left some water on the floor, and now they slip and fall on the water, on the hazard that was left on the floor. Still compensable? I said, yeah, it sounds to me like it's compensable. And they said, all right, great. Now, can I subrogate against uh, the spouse who left the water on the floor, essentially leaving the employee in the position of having to defend a general liability claim that I'm going to step into their shoes to bring on their own behalf, which we all know we couldn't do if it was in the own workplace and the hazard was created by the employee? So we're going to get into some really weird territory here, I think, in the future with some of these work-from-home injuries. But we are starting to see more and more of them, and they are more and more increasingly common. Now, I want to um, first sort of differentiate between working from home and, uh, and, and meaning permitted to and required to, required to. So there is case law in New Jersey, and it's an interesting case that we're an attorney who worked for an insurance company uh, who left work for the day and put some uh, work in his car and said, I had the intention of working from home when I got home. And so really, he's permitted to work from home, but he's not required. And so I think there's an interesting sort of distinction there of people who are required to work from their home 
which again then transforms their workplace into the, the home, the home, sorry, gets transformed into the workplace from our perspective. And the people who are simply permitted to do it. So we have to start looking at these cases very carefully. Just because the person has some work somewhere in their house, just because they're maybe intended to do work, doesn't mean any accident that occurs in their home is compensable. So you really need to be saying, what were you doing at the exact moment of the loss? Were you actively working from home? Were you required to work from home? And did the accident naturally stem or arise from that? So we should really be looking into the instances of the, um, uh, you know, the, the home workplace and what the person's actually doing at the time of loss. And not so much be focused on, hey, did it happen or did it not happen? What were they actually doing? Was it something the employer expected them to do? And was something that would have drawn a benefit from the employer? So the work from home injuries, unfortunately, are very challenging to defend because often there are absolutely no witnesses. The workplace is completely and totally under the control of the employee. Uh, they will sometimes, I've defended cases where the employees set up their own workplace in a hazardous way and had a, had a drawer hit them in their own head that they were sitting underneath and all sorts of things. And so it's very difficult to control these risks. Uh, and unfortunately, it's more and more common. So just something to be thoughtful about when you defend these work from home cases. All right, some practical advice before we go to your questions. First, I think you've got to get aggressive with some of these um, very dubious cases where it's not certain that the injury arose out of in the course of employment. Be prepared. You can absolutely serve discovery on your adversary and be prepared to serve a motion and say, hey, I need to confront opposing counsel and make sure that they provide me with the discovery that I'm demanding. Next, well-crafted interrogatories, and those are very specific interrogatories strategically that are going to support your argument that, hey, this did not arise out in the course of employment and this defense should be granted, judge, are very important. You should be thinking about preparing them in a persuasive manner when you're putting the case together. Be prepared to prepare to file a motion to compel because in my experience, opposing counsel rarely voluntarily complies with the discovery request. So you've got to be ready to either present a motion to compel that discovery and or a motion uh, to dismiss for lack of prosecution. So those are some of our aggressive tactics that we would employ in a case where we're disputing whether or not the accident arose out of and in the course of employment. All right, let's turn to some questions. I hope there's some fun questions and answers for me. I'm gonna come over here and open up the question panel and let's see what we got. Okay, got a good one here. Okay. First isn't really a question, just kind of saying, hey, Greg, I want a shout out. So Sheila says, hi, I'm here. Hi, Sheila. Okay, next, I've got Cheryl who says, Greg, what about auto accidents in an owned, provided or owned parking lot? Right, so same thing as whether the person slips and falls or whether they get in a, a fender bender in the employer's parking lot. Generally speaking, if the employer owns and maintains the parking lot, we're still going to be liable for the resulting injuries from any auto accidents that take place in our, our parking lot. And again, you know, I use the example of slipping and falling on ice because I think that's a, such a common one that we see in New Jersey, you know, um, you know, coming up and down steps in and out of the employer's place of work, such a common place for accidents. But it really could be anything. It could be an assault. They could be mugged, robbed a car accident, you know, a slip and fall, you know, something falls out of a tree and hits them in the head. I mean, I'm trying to imagine even more bizarre scenarios, but really anything that happens in a parking lot, if the employer owns and maintains the parking lot, is going to end up being compensable. So good question, uh, Cheryl. Okay, 
she'll ask me a question. She says, Greg, I have a claim. Lady fell, no known reason, walking from hospital to the employee parking lot. I want to deny his idiopathic type fall, but I am being told if it's on the employer's premises, we might have to pick the claim up, even though there was nothing to cause her fall. What's your opinion? Yeah, I'm sorry to tell you, I'm going to presume that she works in the hospital that you're that you're referring to, and she's walking through the parking lot of the hospital. So, yeah, I'm going to probably agree with the, the advice you've already got, which is an idiopathic fall uh, on our own location is going to be compensable, just as it would be inside the hospital itself That if she works in the hospital, right? So she's walking down the hallway in the hospital, she just falls over and hits her head on something or conks out, likely to be compensable. Same thing in the parking lot. These are a frustrating class of injuries because you're asking the claimant, the petitioner, and you're saying, hey, how did you get hurt? Why? And they go, I don't know. I just fell down. Did you throw yourself down? Like, that's just not normal to throw yourself onto the ground. What happened? And they really don't have a great explanation. So these are very frustrating types of claims. Um, but this is one that I would tell you is most likely going to be compensable if the employer directs and controls the parking lot. The other thing I would look at, just, you know, give you maybe a little hope is chronicity. Um, was she expected to be there? Meaning, was did her shift just end and she's really just walking to her, her car? Or is this like a day where she wasn't even working and she's just in the parking lot? So sometimes you'll have some chronicity issues where the person shows up to work two hours early and slips and falls. You're like, wait a second, did you show up early or were you really shopping in the shopping mall uh, and you know you just happened to be close to our, our location? You know, you got to think about the chronicity. But but in this instance, it sounds to me like um, it's it's just it is work related. And now I see Sheila's asking, saying, hey Greg, yes, her shift just ended. She was walking to her car, no known reason. Yeah, I'm sorry. Those are the types of cases that are frustrating, but that it, to me that seems like it's most likely to be compensable. So, sorry to break your heart, but uh, I think that's that's how that one's going to go. And you know, again, I'm glad you asked that question because I'm sure there's someone else who's sitting there, maybe watching this on video uh, months from now, or just sitting there watching today, who has a similar scenario and they're wondering, hey, did I do the right thing in accepting that type of case? So thanks for joining us today, everybody. I really appreciate the questions and the attention. Uh, always feel free to call me or email me any other questions you might have. And I hope everybody's got a great rest of your week and a great Independence Day. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Bye, everybody.